0: It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Today, Rick is in Part 9 of his Experiencing Jesus series in the book of Mark. Turn to Mark chapter 3, verses 7-19 through in a sermon Rick has entitled, Juggling a Paradox. Here's Rick. Paradox, a situation that combines
1: contradictory or opposite features or qualities. In his wonderful book, That Incredible Christian, A.W. Tozer describes some of the paradoxes that we as followers of Jesus Christ live with every single day of our lives. He writes the following. He says, the Christian believes that in Christ he has died yet he is more alive than before and fully expects to live forever. He walks on earth while seated in heaven, and though born on earth, he finds that after his conversion, he does not feel at home here any longer. To be safe, he puts himself in jeopardy. He loses his life to save it and is in danger of losing it if he attempts to preserve it. He goes down to get up, and if he refuses to go down, he's already down. But when he starts down, he's on his way up. He is strongest when he is weakest, and weakest when he is strong. Though poor, he has the power to make others rich. But when he becomes rich, his ability to enrich others vanishes. He has most after he has given most away, and has least when he possesses most. He is highest when he feels lowest and is most sinless when he is most conscious of his sin. He is wisest when he knows that he knows not and yet knows least when he has acquired the greatest amount of knowledge. He sometimes does most by doing nothing and goes furthest when standing still. (laughs) Now, logical paradoxes can be fun to mentally try to unravel. But situational paradoxes, like the ones that A.W. Tozer just mentioned, have this uncomfortable side to them. Because they demand, situational paradoxes, demand that we live with an unresolvable tension. A tension of two apparent contradictions. And that's difficult for us, because what do we typically want? We want resolution. Because there is a strain that comes from living in the middle of a paradox. Our lives can look inconsistent, and life can seem to be absurd. And yet, as A.W. Tozer mentioned, as followers of Jesus, we are asked every day of our lives to juggle paradoxes. But there's one that we particularly have a very difficult time with. And it's the paradox that Jesus had to juggle in Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 7. If you grab your Bibles with you, I invite you to open to Mark chapter 3 as we continue our study in Mark. Now, to appreciate, though, what Jesus is facing here, uh, we need to review for a moment. We need to kind of step back for a second and, and get the bigger picture once again. In his first three chapters... Mark is inviting us to simply experience Jesus. His his style of writing easily draws us in as if we are given a front row seat to listen to everything that Jesus says and to watch closely everything that Jesus does. Now, Mark is very intentional about the events that he writes about. He shows and he wants to show how the coming of the kingdom of God... Impacts a person's life. And so he shows us how it can cleanse the repulsive, it can free the paralyzed, and it will embrace the compromised. Mark wants us to experience the outrageous and extravagant grace of God as it was displayed in the life of Jesus. And in so doing, he wants us to begin to wonder, what could that kind of grace do for me? But then it almost seems like Mark shifts direction abruptly on us. And we saw this last, or two weeks ago, in our last time in Mark. He then tells us three, in three different occasions when Jesus had to field major customer complaints. <laughs> the religious leaders were not happy with him at all. Why? Well, if you remember, because Jesus was not conforming to The majority. He he was not keeping their rules. It didn't matter to him um, that this was the way it had always been done. So when we come to Mark chapter three and verse seven, let's pick up where we left off uh two weeks ago. And let's let Mark first of all describe one side of two parts of the paradox. Let's just start with the first side. Join me, look at verse seven. Mark writes and says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Now connect those verses with what we were just talking about uh, in the context from a moment ago. One side of the paradox that Jesus lived with was the reality that as the kingdom of God was moving forward, it faced opposition. Now, what was really behind the religious leaders' opposition to Jesus? Well, they thought they had God in a box. They thought they had God all figured out. They thought they knew how God thinks and how God would always act. And then along comes Jesus with his grace-filled miracles that embraced the undeserving, and this just blew up the status quo. See, they had built, the religious leaders had built a system for pleasing God. They had their lists of what it meant to look spiritual, and Jesus was a threat to their narrow-minded legalism. Now, what was true in Jesus' day, unfortunately, can also be true in our day. In every generation and in every culture, as the kingdom of God begins to expand and has this warm, inviting, grace-filled impact on people, it will be opposed by man. Even by those who are regarded by some as spiritual leaders. But you need to understand that the opposition was more than just a group of, of others who didn't agree with Jesus. No, it has a more sinister side to it than just disagreement. For drop back to verse six of chapter three, opposition brings a threat. What did we see two weeks ago that his or those that disagreed with him met and counseled together? On how to destroy him. That word destroy literally means to ruin, to cause to lose, or in the extreme, literally to put to death. And by the way, this is the very same word used in John 10.10, where the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, what they were doing is literally satanic opposition to the work of the kingdom of God moving forward. And the extremes that they're willing to go to shows how resistant they are to change. The only option they had was, we've got to get rid of this guy. And Jesus knows this. And the pressure on him is immense. Imagine, every day, what he says And what he does is being critically observed by those that are committed to bringing him down. And since the Lord is fully man, as well as being fully God, that means he felt intensely the pain of this kind of hatred against him. This kind of threat brought emotional discomfort and pervasive alienation. Because he's just a man too, like us. So here's the important question. How does Jesus respond to the threat of opposition? Well, look at verse 7. How does it begin? Jesus withdrew. To withdraw is a change of direction. In other words, instead of remaining in the context of, of confrontation, Jesus decides to head off on a new path. Well, what's the new course that he charts? Well, look at the end of verse 8 and then the start of verse 10. Verse 8 ends with these words, And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Why? Start of verse 10. For he had healed many. Jesus specifically responds to the threat of opposition by beginning to build into those who came to him. In other words, instead of constantly knocking his head against the the, the resistant, the intransigent, he pours himself into those who are open to him. And by the way, this is the same thing Paul did in the book of Acts. You'll notice as Paul goes from city to city, he willingly offers the kingdom of God to the Jews of each city. But if they resist it, If they oppose him, you'll notice that Paul does not waste a whole lot of time in trying to convince the hard-hearted. Instead, he turns and works with the open Gentiles. So what's the first side of the paradox that Mark is trying to help us see? That if we are a part of the the forward movement of the kingdom of God in this generation and in this community, we will have to live with opposition that will threaten to ruin us. Just like it did Jesus. Well, a paradox has two opposites. So Mark has painted the first side. Now let's allow him to turn and paint the second side of the paradox. Look at the last part of verse 8 with me. A situational paradox brings together an unresolvable tension of opposites. So as the kingdom of God moves forward and expands, it will face opposition. What do we now read? At the same time, as the kingdom of God moves forward, it faces opportunity. Did you notice how Mark makes it a point four times to mention the size of the crowd? It's enormous. In fact, the specific places that he cites up in verse 7 and and the first part of verse 8 means that literally people were coming from northwest, east, and south, from all directions, and some of them had traveled over a hundred miles to be with Jesus on foot. Now let the details of the rest of this passage begin to soak in. Because what Mark is describing for us is borderline bedlam. Verse 10 So many were being healed that others pressed in around him to touch him. In other words, they have come from such a long distance, they will not be denied the opportunity to experience healing. And verse 11, some who came had unclean spirits. And when they saw Jesus, the person fell to the ground and cried out his identity as the Son of God. I mean, do you see the wild chaos that's going on here? Some were crowding around him and were, fall- some were crowding around him. Others were falling down before him. People were probably crying out, Jesus, I want help! And others were crying out in demonic area. <laughs> but you know, this is what the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61 and, and verse 1, describes that this is exactly what Jesus the Messiah came to do. Listen to these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. So we've got a situation here that's wild. It's chaotic. It's almost out of control. Why? Because the kingdom of God is moving in powerful and authoritative ways into people's lives and it's transforming them. And yet, hidden in that little passage right there, Mark points out that even opportunity brings a threat. Look at verse 9. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him. Because of the crowd, here's the threat, lest they crush him. Jesus was in danger of being crushed. That word means literally to press against and in pressing against to cause trouble or affliction. In other words, the danger was so real and potentially overwhelming, Jesus had his disciples get a boat and have it ready just in case he needed to make his escape. In our day, we would say Jesus had the car running and the doors open for a quick getaway. (laughs) So here's the other aspect of What makes juggling this paradox so difficult? And that is we so naively think that opportunity is a wonderful condition just to enjoy. But it carries with it the hidden danger that any of us can be crushed by it. The legitimate needs of others demanding attention can overwhelm, even as it almost did, Jesus. So as with the first side of the paradox, let's ask on the second side, so how did Jesus respond to the threat of opportunity? Look at the first part of verse 13. And he went up on the mountain. Note the parallel of his response to verse 7 when he withdrew. Not the same word, but the same action. He went up on the mountain, and that was a change of direction. He doesn't remain in the context of demanding popularity. So what new course does he chart? Well, look at the end of verse 13. Up on the mountain he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus specifically responds to the threat of opportunity by building into a team of those who, when he called, they came. Notice, The end of verse 13, they came to him. It parallels what we see at the end of verse 8. They came to him. So think about this. If there was anybody who ever could claim that they were capable of handling opportunity as a one-man show and doing it on their own, it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? But he doesn't. He realizes he needs a team of others around him. And why did he build a team? Well, look again closely at verse 14 and verse 15. He had two objectives on his heart. First, amazingly, he wanted others to be with him. Our Lord wanted and needed companionship. He is not a stoic, independent individual. He built a team in order to enjoy relational intimacy with others. That's the first part of the team, of why he did it. Second, though, he also wanted others to go out for him. Not only did he need and want Companionship, but he also wanted missional replication. In other words, he built a team that would outlive him and would multiply what he was starting in front of them. In fact, I found it interesting that after the resurrection, almost bookending his ministry, Jesus reminded his disciples that this was exactly what he intended from the very beginning. John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. See, he had that in his mind all along. See the paradox. The contradictory and opposites on both sides of an unresolvable tension of opposition and opportunity. So what is how? what am I supposed to learn then about juggling... This paradox. What are we to learn from watching what Jesus did here? Well, let me give you five areas to think about that will help you develop and improve your juggling abilities with this paradox. Um, If we're going to be involved in the expansion of the kingdom of God in this generation and in this community, then first, we've just got to accept that we will always live with the paradox of opposition and opportunity at the same time. we just got to accept it. The New Testament authors are consistent, whether it's in the Gospels or whether it's into the Epistles or the other parts of the New Testament. There is both at the same time a harvest going on and a battle raging. We are to be like farmers who go out into the field, but we're wearing full body armor at the same time. Hmm. And it's natural for any of us to wish that the tension of living with opposition and opportunity would just go away. And it will one day go away on that day when our Lord finishes making all things new. But until then, isn't it comforting to know that our Lord understands the pressure that it puts on us to live with both of these in the middle of it? Because He felt it too. By the way, there's a kind of a backdoor warning that's going on here as well. That if we don't sense the opposition, or if we're not trying to take advantage of the opportunities, it should probably make us wonder if we're really engaged in the expanding work of the kingdom of God in our generation. Second area to consider. Not just do we need to accept the fact that we're living with this paradox of both opposition and opportunity. It's never going to go away. But the second area I'd like to have you consider, and that is juggling this paradox means recognizing the threat on each side. Again, both opposition and opportunity have the potential to take us out. Each looks differently. Each works differently, but the end result can be the same. Verse 6, it can destroy. Verse 9, it can crush. So how aware are we of both of those threats? For example, how aware are we of our spiritual enemy and his attack, his tactics of throwing accusations at us, of trying to get us to believe lies, of deceiving us, of sowing doubt, of seeking to cause divisions among us? Or on the other hand, with opportunity, how aware are we of how great opportunity can threaten to overwhelm us? Are we honest about the crushing pressure of human need? Can we say no when necessary? Or do we always feel like we've got to be available anytime someone asks? Juggling this paradox means recognizing the threat on both sides. Let me give you a third one that will help our juggling skills. And that is respond to the threat of opportunity by building into those who are open, just like Jesus. Now, please note, Jesus was no wimp. He always spoke up when he was opposed. But notice, he did not dwell there. He kept His focus on those who were willingly coming to Him, those that were open to Him. So here's the question. Who are those around you that show an openness to what you have to say? Who is willing to let you address those wounds and hurts that they carry with the Gospel? Who are those who like they did with Jesus here in verse 9, heard maybe about what you have to offer, and they're now initiating to get with you. So sure, yes, they, they call on the phone, they text at, at inconvenient hours. Uh, and sure, their motives may be dominated by a self-centeredness be, because of their pain. And sure, they have a hard time understanding that you've got to have boundaries, and you are not always available. And as we're going to see next week, our Lord even faced the pressure of unrelenting human need. But as Mark 10.45 tells us, He knew. He knew that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. So what is your purpose for living? To be served by others or to give your life away in serving them? Respond to the threat of opposition by building into those who are open. And that's a great segue then to the fourth area, which is respond to the threat of opportunity by building into a team. Again, if our Lord knew that He could not be a lone ranger, then we've got to realize we can't be one either. Even though our culture bows down to the value of rugged individualism, we need to be in community Because the opportunities that are in front of us will overwhelm us unless we purposefully build a team. Because none of us are indispensable. None of us have any guarantee of how long we're going to be around. Now, by the way, don't be overly pressured by this passage. It does not have to be twelve others. Uh, It can be just one. Ecclesiastes chapter four, starting in verse nine. Two. are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. They can just be one other person. And by the way, that brings us to the last of the five that I would suggest you consider. And that is, building a team is not just for going out, but also for being together. Notice, again, our Lord wanted both intimacy and impact. He wanted those guys around Him, and He wanted to send them out. He wanted both. Which means the best teams have both a growing in community and a growing in replication. So I'm convinced by watching what our Lord did, that if our relationships with each other are not deeply authentic and engaging, then we have absolutely nothing to offer the world. It doesn't matter how right we are. If our relationships are shallow, Because then we'll never have the power to preach and exercise spiritual authority in the name of our Savior. Paradox. A situation that combines opposite or contradictory features or qualities. But juggling the paradox of, of opportunity and opposition, it can be learned. We just need to watch Jesus. And yet, you, there may be in your mind this morning the question, but does this work? Oh, yeah, it works. I want to have you all turn, if you would, to First Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 8. Here is the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't there in Mark 3. He heard about it. He learned about it. And so what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8? But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Do you see it? Right there. Paul learned to juggle the paradox. In Ephesus, this wide door of opportunity had opened for him, but there was also opposition. There were many adversaries. Now back up for a moment. I read over a quick. Look at the opening words of verse 8. What was his commitment? Knowing that he's going to have both, what does he say? I will Do some of you need to make that commitment this morning? Are you here this morning, but you need to make that same commitment because you're feeling the threat of opposition or you're feeling the threat of opportunity. And are you thinking of walking away? Are you thinking of caving in? Do you this morning need to start building into those that are open, building into a a team? Will you stay right where the Lord has placed you and juggle the paradox? Let's pray. Before we pray, though, Maybe your prayer needs to start with Paul's words. You can say it out loud if you want, or you can just say it quietly in prayer. But I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to make Paul's commitment, I will stay. So I want you to begin right now. Just tell that to the Lord. Say it to him. I will stay. Day. Father it's hard. it is hard. It is not easy to live with that unresolvable tension of, of a paradox situational paradox. And so many of us in this room have that right now. And maybe for the longest time we've not known what to do, as we look at one and then we look at the other. We want to resolve it, and you don't want us to resolve it. You want us to change our tactic and build into those that are open and build a team. Father, would you give us wisdom and understanding on how to do that in each of our own specific situations? Because, Father, we so want to be a part of the expanding work of the kingdom of God in this generation and in this community. We don't want to cave in. We don't want to back away. But be fully engaged with what you have for us. So, Father, thank you that that our Savior understands all this. He, He lived it himself. May that give us the courage and comfort to come and to ask for you to lead us in developing this ability to juggle this paradox. Lord, nobody else can but you. So we pray this in the name of our courageous courageous and powerful and wise Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.